This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Perfect Peace, and it comes from Philippians 4, 1 through 7. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense for providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether it's Spotify or Google, Amazon, iTunes. We're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. As I said, today we are going to talk about perfect peace. And if we're all honest, we would all say that we are seeking peace in our life. Everyone is looking for the peace no matter what you're going through or where you are in your life, whether you're on a a mountaintop or if you're in a valley. We're always seeking for that peace. And I would even go as far to say sometimes we do detrimental things in our life trying to get peace. What I've learned as I've gone through my life, and I think you would have to admit as well, is that God does give perfect peace. The Bible teaches us that he gives a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that other folks see and they ask, how are you not falling apart when everything around you seems to be falling apart, when you're going through what you're going through and you aren't just acting like the rest of the world? That is that peace that Jesus can give us. Well, as you know, we've been going through the book of Philippians. Paul has been writing this letter to Philippi, and he's asked a lot of this church. And today, he's going to get very specific around the unity. One of the themes of this book is unity. And even though apparently these two people, and we're going to dive more into this, can't get along, Paul tells them they need to have the same mind of Christ. We need to have unity together in Christ, even though we have our differences. And then he takes it even to a larger extent and starts talking about the church body. And then he brings up another main theme in this book, and that is joy. And how when we have joy in Christ and follow after him, that we have that peace. And that there are some fruits from that joy, like patience and gentleness, and we'll get into that as well. So with that said, turn with me to Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'll be reading out the ESV. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Most scholars agree that this verse, verse 1, really should be a part of chapter 3. 
when Paul originally penned this, there were no chapters, there were no verses. Now, chapters and verses were added after the manuscript was translated. But anyhow, here in verse 1, this really should be part of chapter 3, because if you remember, and you go back and listen to our previous lesson, we talked about pressing on. We talked about going after the prize, keeping our focus on the prize. And here he's talking about standing firm. Another way we know that is if you look at the very first word in verse 1, it says, therefore. And when I was in Bible school, one of the things one of my teachers used to say is anytime you see the word therefore, you need to understand what it is there for. And that is really summarizing what he said in chapter 3. It's therefore to summarize and challenge this body that he's writing. He says, therefore, my brothers who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. So again, that's a summary of what we really studied last week. Last thing I'll point out, and then we'll move on, is that you'll notice there's a key phrase I want you to catch right at the end of this verse. He says, stand firm thus, what? In the Lord, my beloved. Then when we see down here in verse 2, he's going to say, agree in the Lord. And then in verse 4, he's going to say, rejoice in the Lord. So he has a theme going on here about how we're to live in the Lord how we're to respond in the Lord, not in the flesh, but in the Lord. Now, verse 2, look at it with me real quick. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And we're going to stop right there for now. So I want you to see here in verse 2, one thing is that he names these two women by name, Eurodia and Syntyche, and both of these are Greek names. I point that out because that these are two Greek or non-Jewish people that have come to the Lord, two women, but I also want you to understand that there's some type of disagreement amongst them. And he is telling them that they need to agree in the Lord. The other thing, these two women were probably deacons in the church. In the early church, women were able to be deacons. And we see that when we look at verse 3, where he says, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And so in verse 2, Paul is pleading that they have a unity inside the body of Christ. And I want you to also look at a key word. Now, in my version, the ESV, it says, I entreat. If you have an NIV, it says, I plead. If you have a New Living Translation, it says, I appeal. And if you have a King James, it says, I beseech. Paul is pleading, he's appealing, he's beseeching the church to have the same mind in the Lord. And that's what it says in the King James. It says that they be of the same mind in the Lord. In my version, the ESV, it says to agree in the Lord. And then in the New Living Translation, I love this one. It says, please, because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. So here we see an English version of the translation to say there is some disagreement and be of the same mind in the Lord, even though you disagree. So Paul is urging them to have the same mind in Christ and to settle this disagreement. Now think about this for a second. 
Paul is in Rome when he's writing this, and he has found out about this disagreement. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what this disagreement is, but Paul has found out, and he's in Rome. They didn't have a telephone to pick up and call and say, hey, here's what's going on. But this disagreement has come to the point, has come publicly, and now some messenger has told Paul about this disagreement. So he's addressing it right here in this letter. Let me just say that when you have two people, there's a chance for a disagreement because people can have different opinions. What happens is when you have disagreements, and you can't come to a compromise or some type of agreement over the disagreement, then they become divisive. And in a church, as things come up as disagreements and become divisive, then you have a problem. Now, this isn't the only place where Paul calls out division. If you look over at Galatians 5, verses 19 and 20, turn there with me real quick. Galatians 5, 19 and 20. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, notice that right there, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's pointing out here a couple of these that we can look at enmity, strife, dissension, division, envy. All those are things that we're probably seeing right here in the church. And Paul is having to address this to bring unity back to the body. And he calls them out by name. Wouldn't you hate to be called out by name? Like, hey, Bob, hey, Jeff, think about this like a pastor standing in the pulpit. And all of a sudden he calls out two people in the church that are having disunity right there. They're having a disagreement, and it's about to do a split in the church. And he says in verse 3, help these women. They've labored side by side. They're leaders in the church, and so as leaders, they shouldn't be acting this way, but he's saying help them get this unity back together. And so he's asking the church to come in and make sure the mission is greater than the individual. Make sure what we're trying to do in the church is greater than this two people that have a disagreement. So what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that you can't have growth. You can't have peace when you're constantly fighting with other people. That doesn't create peace. The second thing that we can learn from this is we have to be careful we don't fall into I want my way. Because where's the focus on that? That is not on the Father. The focus is on me. It's about my selfish flesh again. Matter of fact, listen to what Romans 16, 17 says. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Remember, I said it's okay to have our opinion, but we got to be careful that we don't cause a division. We don't create an obstacle that we are trying to do it our way instead of what's taught through the Bible and what's biblically the way that we should be doing it. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify the other. In other words, let's find a way that we can make peace, even though we have disagreements. And during that process, let's build one another up. Let's don't tear each other down. And then the other thing this shows is that we should submit to leadership. 
See, God appoints leaders in the church. And when they are doing the things to advance the gospel, we should work with them. We should help them. We should encourage them. We should support them. Now, let me say that leaders don't always get it right. There's only one perfect person, and that was Jesus Christ, and none of us are him. So we're going to mess up, and it's okay for you to have an opinion. It's okay for you to have a discussion. But there's a point in time that we have to all agree. We need that unity that we all get in the boat and we row the same way, especially if it's lined up biblically and there's nothing wrong biblically with what we're trying to do. And we're trying to move the gospel forward. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So I'm going to have to move on. So I want to summarize this real quick. Three key words in this verse. First is in the Lord. And what I think he's trying to get these two women to do is that they need to see that the common cause, no matter what they're disagreeing about, is not greater than the Lord. Another key phrase he says right there in verse 3, he calls out a true companion, help these women. Sometimes we can't get past our petty differences, and so it's good that there is some arbitration from an outside person. Now remember, when we studied inside of Corinthians, we're not to take this to court, right? We're to keep what, we, what goes on the church in the church. And so sometimes it's good for someone, a companion, a leader inside the church or the church body to help these people find unity again and show that maybe they're too focused on the little things and they've lost focus of the ultimate goal. You may be going, Tim, how do you know this? Well, first, the commentators say this, but also look at the very last three words of verse 3, book of life, whose name are in the book of life is really the last part of that verse. And what Paul is really saying is you need to make sure you have an eternal view. And so if we want unity in the church, then we have to make sure, one, that we agree in the Lord. And two, when we can't agree in the Lord, but for whatever reason, that we have those true companions that step in to help us, and then we keep that common view of eternity. Well, I've got to move on, so let's look at verse 4 now through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul gives us a few commands here. First, he says, we rejoice in the Lord always. He goes on to say, be gentle to everyone. And then he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything and think about the right things. I don't know about you, but I grew up in children's church, and even as I've taught in children's church, we sing the song, Rejoice in the Lord Always. Again, I say rejoice. Maybe most of you remember singing this song. And when you're six years old, that's pretty easy to do, to rejoice in the Lord always. But as we become grown-ups, as we become 26, 36, 56, 76, it's hard to always rejoice in the Lord always. Because life happens, and life is not always something that makes us happy about. 
But that's the key that I want to point out to you, that rejoicing in the Lord always doesn't mean that we're always happy. It means, and when we have our joy in the Lord, again, about this book, we have our joy in the Lord. It is a calm peace. And when we have God's perfect peace in our life, when we know that we are at peace with God, when we know that where we're going, we have an eternal view, even when things around us are cratering, we can still have God's peace. And so that's how you rejoice in the Lord always. When you look at that word rejoice in the Greek, it is a calm, happy. And what Paul wants the Philippians to understand is he'd love for them to be full of cheer and be happy. But if if they can't be happy, have a calm peace. And so what we should understand, what we should take from this is that when we're not rejoicing in the Lord, when we don't have that peace, when we don't have that calm, happy, then we're saying that the trial is bigger than our Lord. We're saying that there is something wrong that God can't handle. We're saying things about God that we believe and we're living out even though we say other things from our mouth. Example of this is my daughter just recently moved down to Florida where we're living at the moment. And less than a week from her being here, she got appendicitis. We went to the emergency room over the weekend. She had an emergency appendectomy. And everyone was like, How can you be giving God credit and speaking good of the Lord when something like that happened? And I told him, well, you can look at the glass half empty or you can look at the glass half full. See, my daughter was living up in Mississippi where we weren't. My son was in a different city. There was no one around. So if that had happened while she was up there, there would have been nobody there as her support system. But because she was here... We were here. We were immediately able to react. We were able to help her. And all this may sound petty to you, but it is a perspective. It is a way that we rejoice in the Lord, that we find good in the situation when even things don't seem so good. Would I have picked for her to have appendicitis and to have to do a surgery appendectomy? Absolutely not. But I don't control this broken world that we live in, but I can have a calm peace knowing that God is strong and it is all for the good. The the old saying is that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And so what Paul is trying to teach this church and what we should learn from it is that we need to have a calm peace even when things aren't good. Even when things around us may be cratering doesn't mean that we have to fall apart. That's what the world does. We live in a victorious Lord that will take care of us. Think about Paul while he's writing this letter. He is under house arrest in chains with guards next to him, and he's telling them rejoice in every situation. The Bible teaches this in Romans 5, 3. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So the next time you're going through something, choose to rejoice in the Lord. Be calmly happy and well off. Have a disposition that shows the world that you're calmly happy with what God is doing in your life, even if it's in the midst of a circumstance or something that you wouldn't choose. In verse 5, listen to what it says. It says, let your reasonableness or gentleness in other translations be known to everyone. Let them see your gentleness when things aren't going so well. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
right? Be gentle about everything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so again, he's saying, look, when things aren't going well around you, here's what you do. You're gentle about it. You're not the one that is just throwing things. You're in a bad mood. You're taking it out on others. Be gentle. Be someone that people want to be around. And then don't be anxious about what's going on. God knows what's going on. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Do you truly believe that God is bigger than anything and that God can take care of anything? And look, it's easy to say this kind of stuff unless you're in the middle of the storm. And when you're in the middle of the storm, it truly shows the perseverance of what we really believe because we act out what we believe, not what we say, but what we believe deep down inside. And so when we're not anxious, then that means we have the mind of Christ. We're being gentle. We're rejoicing in the Lord, knowing that he is sovereign and that he's trying to teach us something. And then it says, pray about it. Pray about everything. It's not just about praying before our meals. It's not about praying just when we go to bed. We are to pray about everything all the time. These two things, be anxious for nothing, and but in everything, prayer and supplication, go hand in hand. When we're not anxious, that shows that we have faith in God, as I've said. But when we're praying, we're trying to move God so that he can help us even be stronger in our faith in him. If you dive into prayer and supplication, prayer is a broad word. It, it can mean communications with God, and there's different ways we can do that. But then he uses a second word that is supplication. And that supplication directly asks God to do something. So if we see here that it's okay, and the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we are able to go to him and we give thanks to him, and we see that in a minute, he's going to use a word to give thanksgiving. But he also says that we should pray and communicate about everything, but we are okay to ask God to do something, to ask God to move towards something. Again, I remember in Bible school, a pastor up there in chapel said, many prayers go unanswered because we don't ask God for anything. We give some broad stroke, but we're not specific. And so right here we see that Paul teaches us, the Bible teaches us, that we are okay to ask God specifically for what we need. And I know, I know some of you are going to say, well, Tim, doesn't God know everything? Then why do I have to tell him? He already knows. Well, sometimes God wants us to ask anyhow. He wants us to participate in our communication with him, even though he knows it already before we ever went to him, before it ever happened. God knew, but he wants us to participate. That's part of the two-way peace. That is a part of the relationship. And then I like the way Paul says, do it with thanksgiving. Guard against being a whiner. I love the phrase that one of my employees uses, hey, can I have some cheese to go with that wine? We don't need to be a whiner. We don't need to have a complaining spirit before God, but we need to let our requests be known. We can tell God what we need without being anxious, without whining, and that we can pray about everything and we can be thankful for anything that happens. And then Paul finishes up right here in verse 7, where he says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. We are giving a promise of peace when we have the mind of Christ. 
The Bible teaches us, though, that we have peace from God. That means that we have a peace that is a gift from God that's given to us, and that is the mind of Christ. The other peace that we have is peace with God. We know, the Bible teaches us, there is a wrath of God and that we have peace with him because we have the finished work of Jesus Christ in our life. And so we've made peace with him. But there are others that have not. And then he goes on to say, though, that there is a peace that passes all understanding. This peace that we can't understand, that passes all understanding, makes me think of Ephesians 3.20 that says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generation forever and ever. Amen. See, even there, Paul says in Ephesians that he's able to do more than we can even think. Whatever we think is a limit to God, then we have put him in a box because there isn't a limit. We can't think of the limit there is on God. So the Bible is teaching us right here in Philippians 4, 7, that there is a peace that we can't understand, even though as we try to understand this peace, we'll never truly understand it. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought around this peace that passes all understanding. Have you ever experienced something that you couldn't describe? You just had to experience it. I mean, you tried to describe it, but you couldn't put words together. And that's what Paul and the Bible is teaching us right here that surpasses all understanding. It's not that it's senseless or that it's impossible to understand, but it's beyond our ability to understand and explain it. We have to experience. That's the only way we can truly understand God's perfect peace. I started off this lesson telling you that it's called perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he entrusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord is everlasting strength. See, this is the prophet Isaiah saying that he will keep us in perfect peace. That's a promise. God promises that we can have that perfect peace and we can even be kept in that place of perfect peace if what? If we keep our mind on him. Peace that the world seeks for is not enough for us. It's not enough for man. And that's why they search for peace everywhere. And it leads to different sins. To keep that perfect peace, our mind must be on the Lord. It must be focused on the Lord. It's not on ourselves. It's not on our problems. It's not on what's happening around us, the lives that are around us. We can't stay in perfect peace when we take our eyes off the Lord. And so the only way to keep ourselves in this perfect peace is for us to keep our mind on the Lord because he is the everlasting strength. We can't do it ourselves. We can only do it through the Holy Spirit. So today, are you seeking that perfect peace? Are you not anxious about anything, but all through prayer and supplication? Are you focused on the Lord when things around you don't seem to be going your way? Will you give it to him today and will you stay calmly happy? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for, as Paul begins to wrap up this letter that he's written to the church of Philippi, Lord, that he gives us some rich nuggets. He shows us that no matter what we disagree about, we can have an, a unity if we'll just stay focused on the ultimate prize, focus on moving your kingdom forward and seeing lives saved and brought to you. 
Lord, it teaches us how we can have that perfect peace as life starts to mess up around us, that we stay focused on you, that we walk in your everlasting strength. And those around us won't understand the perfect peace, and we can't describe it. They just have to experience. Lord, give us the strength that we will share with someone what you've done in our life and how you've helped us through a time, even when things look bad around us, how the ultimate answer came, and it was just in time. It was what we needed, and you supplied that for us. Or maybe there's one that doesn't understand any of this, but they know that they need to admit they're a sinner. Lord, they know that if they were to die today, they wouldn't go to heaven. Lord, I pray today that they would do that. They would do the ABCs. They would admit that they're a sinner. They would believe on your finished work on the cross, and they would confess and commit with their mouth that they are going to make you Lord of their life and chase after you. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you for those that are listening and faithful followers. Lord, I ask you to bless each and every one of them this week. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.